from our scripture this morning. Would you uh, open up your Bible, if you will, to Exodus chapter 2? And we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And then we'll go other, a couple of other places, but we're going to start there, Lord willing. And um, this is Mother's Day, obviously. And we want to see how God used a mother in the scriptures to impact um, the foundations of our faith. Someone who's not mentioned very often in scripture, but had a prominent role there and had unspeakable influence in the life of none other than Moses. And we're going to look at that this morning. The title of this message is uh, Jochebed, the Faith and Wisdom of a Faithful Mother. The Faith and Wisdom of a Faithful Mother. And uh, as you're turning over there, let's, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we praise your name for the access that we have. We know that the access that we have um, to you is because there's one mediator between God and man, and that's the man, Christ Jesus. That the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld your glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And the God that the God that we worship didn't wait until we tried to reach you, even though we try through religious activity and through our own pride, because that would never work. Our sin separated us from you and created a gulf that was impassable by us, but not by you. And we're grateful that you bridged that gulf by coming to us through your Son. And we affirm, Lord, that, that salvation is by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And, Father, not as a matter of routine, not as a matter of just the fact that we set aside a couple of Sundays to honor mothers and fathers, uh, and if we're not careful, we'll just go through another one and say, well, this is Mother's Day, and we'll do some, maybe some affirming nice things for our mothers, but we need to stop and think of the weight of this day. And the uh, divine order and providence and care that you express to us by giving us mothers. And Father, we thank you for every one of them here. Not as a matter of routine, we deeply thank you. We have hearts of great gratitude for our mothers. And some of them are here. Some of them have gone on to heaven. And we, don't, we can't talk to them right now, just on a temporary basis, if they knew you. But Lord, we, for the ones who are here this morning and the ones uh, that are maybe visiting around with their mothers somewhere in worship this morning somewhere else, I pray your sovereign blessing. I pray that you will fill them with the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that daily they will decrease so that you might increase. And I pray that daily they would receive affirmation and confirmation and encouragement from us. And they'll certainly receive it from you as they are open and receptive to hear your words of life. And God, the influence of a mother that we, we're going to look at is just incalculable. We're going to look at that in the scriptures this morning of how you used a, 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 a godly lady who's not mentioned very much in scripture. But her son was and is. And Lord, you used her to communicate truth to him at an early age um, that ultimately wound up uh, the, sending your son. And so Father, we praise you and we worship you. And we look forward to what you're going to speak to us. We pray you'll crack open the book and our hearts at the same time. And I pray that mothers out here today will be encouraged and then challenged by the incredible amount of influence they have. 
and the stewardship that they have and we have to support them in it as they speak to and affirm and nurture and care for the greatest gift that you could ever give somebody outside of salvation, and that's a child. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, and we bless your holy name. And thank you for all who are here this morning, those visiting with us that you've brought here today. We love you and worship you for each one. Speak to our hearts, we pray. In the sweet name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In reverence and honor to God's Word, would you stand with me if you're physically able as we read Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10? Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It says, And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds beside the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside, and when she saw the ark among the reeds, she, she sent to get <clears throat> her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maid, maiden went and called the child's mother. Then the Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. You may be seated, please. Thank you so very much. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Well, those are important. Blake, God bless you, buddy. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Now, we look here. I just want to say this as a matter of encouragement and challenge to you this morning. If you look at the Ten Commandments, and we've talked about the Ten Commandments and how that the first um, section of the commandments are our vertical responsibility of our relationship, our vertical relationship with God, that we worship Him alone, that we don't worship idols or graven, carved and image, uh, images, and that we, that, we, um, that we don't speak His name in vain. We reverence His name, and then we keep the Sabbath day holy. And so then we talk about those as being our vertical commands, and then the horizontal commands start in commandment number five and they govern our relationship horizontally with one another how we're to treat and relate to one another and do you know what the first one of those is the first vertical horizontal command the very first one the very first horizontal command is to honor your father and your mother as a matter of fact when you go through the commands there's only one of them that's accompanied by a promise God says, you know what? You worship me and me alone? Don't get a promise for that because I'm God. Don't worship graven images. Don't get a promise for that. I'm God. Don't make anything that looks like me. Honor and reverence my name. I'm God. You should do that. No promise afforded with that. Remember Sabbath day. Keep it holy. No promise afforded with that. Honor your father and your mother. There's a promise that goes along with that. I'll give you a promise for that one. 
and that is that your days may be long upon the earth. To honor Jesus and to honor your father and mother are the same thing. To dishonor your mother and father is the same thing as dishonoring the Lord who gave them to you. And it's incredibly important. That promise does not mean that you will live a long life as a result of honoring your mother and father. That promise was not given to individuals. It was given to the nation. And what he was saying is, if you're going to last as a nation, you honor your mother and your father. Because if you don't honor your mother and your father, you will not last as a nation. And my, how we see that right now. The foundations of our nation are crumbling. And we think all the issues are have to do with fiscal irresponsibility of our government. But the foundational issues have, have as, as their foundation, worshiping God. And then that worshiping, manifesting, and treating one another right. And the very first place that we're supposed to treat one another right is to give honor to our mother and father. It's a sin not to do so. It marks the sure end of a nation or a people if there is no honor for mom and dad. And so it's appropriate, it's right for us to have a Mother's Day and a Father's Day and set aside a day where we specifically do that. And we're going to look at a mother in the Scriptures that's not often named in the Scriptures and not often talked about, but it's the mother of Moses. And we're going to look and see the incredible truth that we can ferret out of this passage by looking at her life and how the influence that she had directly influenced the life of Moses, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. Ninety percent of the miracles in the Old Testament occur in the Moses life narrative. Ninety percent of them. This story is prominent in the heart of God because this story is a picture of our redemption in Christ. It is a picture of our salvation. It is a big deal. It is a memorial to the Israelite people. And it is to us because it speaks of our redemptive, the redemptive activity of our great God. So Moses was a big, prominent figure in the Scriptures. His mother's name was Jochebed. We read that in first. When we read in two one of Exodus, it says, "A man of the house of Levi went and took as a wife a daughter of Levi." In Exodus chapter six verse twenty, if you'll just turn over there, turn right, and just turn a couple of pages to Exodus chapter six. In verse 20, the Bible identifies the name of the man who took a woman for his wife. And this is none other than the father of the Moses and uh, the father and mother of Moses. It says in verse 20, Now Amram took for himself Jacobed, his father's sister, as wife, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. So Amram is Moses' father. His name means an exalted nation. And Jochebed was Moses' mother, and her name means the glory of God. It means Jehovah glorified. That's what her name means. They join together, and God gives them, out of their union, two sons. Their names are Aaron and Moses. It gives them one daughter that we know of, and her name is Miriam. She's told, spoke of in this narrative and plays a key role in it. But as we look at this, I want, to look at, I want us to look at some things that maybe might be a surprise to you this morning if we carefully look at this text and maybe might change our perspective on this whole narrative and how all of this took place. You'll recall that what was happening here was is the, the Hebrew children were multiplying greatly. And the Pharaoh saw that as a threat to their future and his dynasty and his rule and his reign. And so he decided, you know what? If they so populate and they begin and become more numerous than us, 
and somehow or another they get allied with one of our enemies, they'll wind up taking us over. So what we need to do is we need to take their babies and start throwing them in the Nile River. And so that's what they did. They would take the male babies and throw them in the Nile River. Rank and foul, unspeakable evil was going on. And this is what was happening. And Jacobed knew that her son, it says that she conceived in verse 2 and bore a son during this time. And she saw that he was a beautiful child. She saw the glory of God in this child. She saw a prophetic future in the, in the redemptive plan of God in this child. doesn't necessarily mean that he was physically beautiful, but that he was marked out. There was something distinctive and there was something different about this child. And there was something that probably at that time only a mother could see. Boy, the eyes of a mother, aren't they a precious thing? The eyes of a mother can look at a child who's rebellious and see a future full of submission and obedience. Through the, the lens of faith, a child that maybe be, seems to be mediocre or maybe might have much of potential, but the mother can see it in a whole different perspective because she sees through the lens of the God who created the child. And so she saw this is a blue, beautiful child. She hid him for three months, but it got to the point where she could no longer hide him anymore. So she took an ark of bulrushes, and by the way, the word from which that's translated, ark, is the same word that the ark in um, Genesis is translated when Noah built the ark. It just means an enclosed, dry place of refuge. And she built this ark with bulrushes. She took what was probably from a papaya, papaya uh, um, bush. They used to make paper out of it. And she took it and wove it together to make it waterproof. And then my version of the Bible, and it might be a little bit different than yours, says, and then she took asphalt, asphalt and pitch, and she took that to make it waterproof and put that together to seal it. And she put Moses in it. That word asphalt right there is the same word that's translated red to denote the color of wine in Psalm 75, verse 8. So what that means is, is that that, that ark, that uh, basket, had a red prominent hue to it. It wasn't camouflaged. She didn't, she didn't draw little camouflage dots on it and fix it together so it couldn't be seen. She wanted it to be seen. She wanted it to be seen. This woman had heard from God. This woman had heard from God and she had a plan that was given to her by divine decree and divine order. And she strategically put this thing together and put the pitch on it so that it could be prominently seen. As a matter of fact, the contrast between the asphalt, the black, and the other, the pitch, I mean, the pitch that was black and the asphalt that was red would have made it stick out like a sore thumb. I used to think of this narrative as if she took the basket and just kind of threw it, you know, kind of hid, went out there and took it and just kind of pushed it into the Nile River. And I'm thinking, what fate that took to let the thing just float down the Nile and let the hand of God direct it where he wanted to go? That's not what happened. What happened was that she was told by God to go to the spot where Pharaoh's daughter bathed. And she was told to take the, the, the ark and put it in the, in the reeds there so it would get stuck. So Miriam... Her daughter, when it talks about her daughter, went, put the child in it, and they laid it strategically in the reeds by the river's bank. They put it in there to be seen by Pharaoh's daughter. Not only did they do that, she strategically placed her daughter to stand there to see, in verse 3, what would happen. She stood off at a distance. 
Is the plan going to work? And sure enough, Moses' daughter, I mean, the Pharaoh's daughter comes down there to bathe at this spot in the river. And her handmaiden, and they spot the ark just like they had planned it. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, and it was there in the reeds, it couldn't, it couldn't break free and go down the Nile and just float down the Nile indiscriminately with ships and everything else going up and down the aisle, or somebody else might find it. It was, it was pushed, it was, it was jammed into those reeds, sat there with a red hue on it, stuck out like a sore thumb so that Pharaoh's daughter would find it. And she saw the ark among the reeds, just like God had planned. She sent her maid to go get it. And in verse 6, when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. I believe that the baby remained silent all up until that time. And God just hushed ever so slightly Moses' mouth. And this woman, when she looked down, these were the babies they were throwing in the Nile. She looked down and saw a Hebrew child. And rather than saying, listen, go get one of our footmen, take him and hurl him in the Nile. He's just another... He's another baby that we need to get out of the way. She looked and God had him cry right at that moment. And all the prejudice, all the, all the, uh, all the thoughts they had about these being lesser people just completely was sucked right out of her through a crying baby. Everybody has compassion on our crying babies. And she looked down and saw that little Hebrew child crying who was quiet before. And the Bible says that she had compassion on him. And said, this is one of the Hebrew children. She wasn't fooled. She knew exactly where he came from. And then, according to the hand of God, strategically placed right there was none other than Moses' sister, per Jacobed's instructions. And she watched what was happening, saw the baby, and saw the compassion. And then Miriam was there to offer her help, per her mother's instruction. And look what God did. She goes up to him and says, listen, I've got a suggestion for you, verse 7. What about if I go call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she can nurse this child for you and take care of this child for you? What a plan. And the Pharaoh's daughter said to her in verse 8, Go! Great idea! And so the maiden went, Miriam, Moses' sister, called the child's mother, Jacobed, and then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away, nurse him for me, and I will give... You, your wages. Isn't that just like God? God preserved the child's life, gave him back to his mother, and took the devil's money for his support. Is God sovereign or what? Is he in control or what? Is he in charge or what? God is in charge. And this was a faithful mother who obviously sought God. This was a mother who had her yes on the table and said, My child does not belong to me. My child belongs to you, Lord. And whatever you want for this child and whatever you have for this child's future is your decision and your divine decree. And here's what I know. As much as I love this child, and you can put my love and, and put it together and multiply it times 10,000, it will never equal how much you love him. And whatever plan I might have for him, as compared to yours, mine's like a little minuscule plan, and yet yours is eternal in nature, redemptive for your glory. It's far better. We need to put our children on the altar and say, God, they belong to you. Because let me tell you something, Mom and Dad, God loves your children far more than you ever could. Far more than you ever could. Whatever concerns that you have for them were given to you by God. 
and they were given to you not for you to shoulder them and get burdened down and discouraged. They were given to you so that you might give them back to Him in prayer. The Bible says, cast your burden upon the Lord and He shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Now, look at closely. We think about maybe Jochebed going back and forth, nursing the child, giving it back to Pharaoh's daughter, doing this, going back and forth. That's not what happened. What happened was, it says in verse 9, take this child away. Raise him. Nurse him. Take him back, and at the appointed time, when he's weaned, bring him back to me. So he wasn't living in Pharaoh's house at the time. He was still living with mom. Supernatural God of the universe delivered him. And then it says, now up until that time, in ancient times, it was not uncommon at all because of their poverty and the situations they lived in that for the mother to breastfeed the child for four years. So around the fourth or fifth year of Moses' life probably is when he was returned. Do you know what happens to us? This is the kind of some of the things that we get caught up in. Sometimes we neglect or not, we don't have as much appreciation as we should of the spiritual implications behind the first years of a child's life. Now we think that we're going to wait until they get on up, later up, and then when they get to where they can and understand and comprehend things, that's when we'll move in spiritually. Nothing could be further from the truth. Their hearts, when they're young, are the most fertile. That's when they're the most receptive to the Lord. That's when God speaks word and life into them, and they don't contend with Him with hearts of pollution and disbelief. They're ready to receive. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, unless you come to me, Jesus said, as a child, you cannot even enter the kingdom of heaven. Our faith is to be childlike, not childish, but it is to be childlike. And so let's don't, let's don't under the little ones when they're around us. And this so convicted me because I'm thinking, I've still got two little ones, real little ones, four little ones, but two real little ones. And I'm thinking, man, the truth that we could get into them right now, they're never more fertile. If, you're, if you've got older ones now and you've got grandchildren around, oh my goodness, encourage, encourage your uh, your daughters and your sons who have these grandchildren to get the Word and implant it in them very early, very early, because that's what happened in Moses' life, and that's what we're going to see. Because look what wound up happening. It says that she had... So she took care of him the first part of her life. Jacobed did. And he said, I, and, and the devil paid her to do it. In verse 9, took care of him, paid the wages. And the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew and brought... And she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called him Moses, because that means being drawn out. His name means to be drawn out. I want you to look at something interesting here. Look at it at Exodus chapter 1, verse 10. This is Pharaoh. He says, Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, talking about the Hebrew children, lest they multiply, and it happen, in the event of war, they also join our enemies and fight against us, and so, and, and go up out of the land. Guess what? <laughs> in the providence of God, this wicked king, this wicked ruler, who was ruling the known world at that time, a dynasty that lasted a couple of thousand years, he's a type of the devil in Scripture. And this wicked ruler, who was taking the Hebrew children and just throwing them in the Nile River, to their death. God, in His providence, had their deliverer growing up in His own home. 
He said, you know what? That's human wisdom. Hey, this is how we'll do it. We'll do a divine subtraction. We'll take all these male children and we'll throw them in there. We'll downsize the Hebrew children. We'll try to cut off any kind of influence they might have and try to keep them from outgrowing us. And yet God, the providence of God, had him growing, the deliverer growing up right under in his own house, right under his own nose. God's big. God's sovereign. Let me tell you something right now. Evil does not originate. I mean, good does not originate or come from evil. Good outsmarts evil. Good outstrategizes evil. Good overcomes evil. Good always wins because good is from God. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow of turning. And little ones, let me tell you this. You trust God. Overcome evil with good. Stay close to Him. Keep your eyes fixed on Him. And sometimes it might look like evil's winning. But I can tell you this. Evil never prevails. Good always does. So God outsmarted this big, big shot in this big dynasty with a big, a big uh, palace and big influence and big this and big that. And God took a little baby and raised him in his own house and he would later overthrow his kingdom. You know what winds up happening? If you'll look at verse, we're going to move on a little bit. Look at verse 10. When you go from verse 10 and you move on to verse 11, you might want to put this in your Bible. It helps me to maybe just write it in there. The, 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 the time span between verse 10 and verse 11 is 40 years. The time span between verse 10 and verse 11 is 40 years. Now, when we went through Exodus... We were talking about the fact that Moses' life was divided up into three 40-year periods. This one begins the second 40-year period in verse 11 of chapter 2. So 40 years pass, and when it says, Now it came to pass, after 40 years, in those days, when Moses was grown, we're looking at verse 11, that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And so he looked this way and looked that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, Why are you striking your companion? Then he said, Who made you prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses went, Oh boy. I looked left and right, was thought nobody saw, and somebody saw. And they saw him take matters into his own hands, and he struck the Egyptian and tried to kill him. And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. You know the story. Moses tries to take matters into his own hands. He's seeing an uh, Egyptian taskmaster beating one of his Hebrew brothers. He knew he was, one of their, their, he was their brother. He couldn't stand it any longer. And he said, Now must be the time. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And he struck the Egyptian. It's Hudson Taylor who said this. God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. God's not only concerned about the fact that we do obey Him. He's concerned about how we obey Him. And timing is everything. This was the right man, the right call, but it was the wrong time. You can do the right thing the wrong way. And you can also do the right thing at the wrong time. Be careful. And so he didn't wait on the Lord. So God sent him to Egyptian, I mean, uh, to uh, seminary for 40 years. He went to Desert U. 
And at the Desert University, that's when he learned he better wait on God and trust God to do things. But see, the Old Testament does not tell us why he struck the Egyptian. The Old Testament doesn't tell us why he did that, other than just drawing ire out of his spirit from seeing someone mistreated, and we all don't want to see someone mistreated. Why did he do that? What was his motivation for killing the Egyptian? How did he know to do that? What was wrong with the secret getting out that he had done it? We have to go to the New Testament to find out the answer to that question. Let's look at Acts chapter 7. Move over to Acts chapter 7. We're going to read this and we're going to close. In Acts chapter 7, we find the answer to that question. What motivated Moses to do what he did? Why did he kill the Egyptian? We find in the scriptures here. A recount of the sordid history of the nation of Israel. The setting is that Stephen, who is full of the Holy Spirit, is accused of blasphemy and he's brought before the religious leaders. And when he's brought before them, his life is weighing in the balance. And he knows it. And when they ask him to give an account for what they call his blasphemy, in other words, believing in Jesus as the Messiah, rather than trying to defend himself, the Bible says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. His face looked like the face of an angel. That's in verse 15 of chapter 6. He begins a discourse in chapter 7 of the apostasy and the hard-headedness and the history of the hard-headedness and the stubbornness of the people who have rocks in their hands who are about to kill him. He doesn't try to defend himself. He calls them to repentance, which they didn't do, and they did kill him. And so he goes through this sordid history. And in this history, we see the motivation for Moses striking the Egyptian. And here it is in verse 17. So we're at Acts chapter 17. I mean, chapter 7, verse 17. Acts chapter 7, verse 17. But when the time of promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people. He's talking about the Pharaoh. And oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies. That word mean that word exposed there. Now that's in the New King James Version. I don't know what your version might say. But the word exposed there means to cast out. In other words, to cast them into the Nile River so that they might not live. We talked about that. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, now, that word set out means carefully placed. That word set out means strategic wisdom. It verifies what we said about the placing of the ark, that she strategically put it into the reeds and placed it there and painted it red and did everything but put a sign on it to say to Pharaoh's wife, come get this. 
It was strategically placed is what that word means. It means placed with wisdom. Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. He was Harvard educated. He went to Egyptian University. He had every credential you could imagine. As long as his arm, he knew of all the philosophical words of the day. He knew of all of their gods. He knew of all of their protocol. He was given instruction about their government, their way of doing things. Egypt life was embedded in him. But praise God, before Egypt ever got to him, Jacobed got to him. And so here's what happened. He's learned in all the words and the deeds of the Egyptians, but look at verse 23. But when he was 40 years old, it came into his head to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And serving and seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck the Egyptian. And here is the answer to his, why he did that. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that would God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. He knew at the age of 40, despite his degree from Egyptian University, despite 40 years of being raised in the very center, epicenter of power by an evil, wicked dynasty that was absolutely opposed to God, absolutely opposed to God's people, and used God's people as slaves, kept them into bondage for 430 years. God's special chosen people. But yet, Moses, when he went after the Egyptian at age 40, and he struck the Egyptian, it says the reason he did that is he thought that the Hebrews would understand that God would deliver them by his hand. Where did he get that knowledge. He got that knowledge from his mother, Jacobin. His mother raised him. His mother spoke words of life in him. Could you imagine her holding him up to her breast and praying over him and saying, Dear God in heaven, you've told me. I don't know exactly what the future holds for my little son, but I know there's a great future for him. And I don't know exactly what you're going to do with him, but I know you've called him to deliver the people, our people from Egyptian tyranny. And I know you've done that. And I know that. And I know that. And I know that. I put him in the reeds in front of Pharaoh's daughter and risk him being thrown into the river by one of his henchmen. I did all of that. And I did it because I did it based on your promises. You've made promises about my son. Embed those promises in his heart. And he would look at him, a little Moses. She only had like four or five years to do this. And say, Moses, listen to me. God's got a special call on your life, son. God's got a call on your life. Your mother's praying for you. And I'm praying for you. And I'm praying that you will listen to his call. And you will obediently walk into his call. Because God's got a call on his life. God's got a call on your life not to be the prince of Egypt. He was the prince of Egypt at that time. He could have had it all. That's not God's call on your life. God's call on your life is not to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin for a season, but to bear the reproach of God's people, viewing and looking to the reward because there's a God in heaven we worship and there's only one of them and He's only known through His Son, Jesus Christ. You worship Him and you worship Him alone. You remain faithful to Him and whatever they tell you over there when you get in Pharaoh's house and whatever they teach you 
you. It's a lie. It's not true. You follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You trust Him. You listen to His Word. You stay by the stuff. Don't you quit. Don't you give up. No matter what the circumstances, you are God's chosen vessel. That's where He got that from. I want you to know something, brother. It's an old Hebrew, actually. Jewish saying, and you've heard it before, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. The potential you have and the influence you have as a mother is celebrated by God. And it's incredibly important that we're the beneficiaries. A woman who walks with God, a woman who cracks up in the Bible, a woman who trusts God is beautiful to the Lord and of great worth. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for listening and cracking it up with the words of life and pouring it into our children. And don't quit doing it. It doesn't matter what age they are, whether they're one minute old or 140 months old, whatever they are, anything in between, don't you quit. Because Jacobed had the kind of faith, and she was the kind of faithful woman that she spoke this into Moses' life. And when it came time to be the deliverer, all those promises and all that affirmation came back to his spirit. And he eventually did walk in obedience to what God called him to do. He did eventually deliver God's people. You know the story. And they were liberated out of 430 years of a bondage and made their trek to the promised land. And every bit of that is a picture of the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah to his name. He knew because of the faithfulness of a mother. Can you imagine what it was like? After nursing that child for all those years and having him right there beside her, God graced her with the opportunity to do it. Satan paid the bill. And then she went back to Goshen, which is the place where she was from. That's where all the pyramids are. Confident. Confident that the seeds that she had sown would bear fruit. The seeds that she had sown would bear fruit. Maybe you're here now and you've got some adult children who are not walking with God. But you know they've heard. And you've sowed seed in their life and their heart. Go back to what God showed you about them. Pray His promises back to them and don't quit trusting You keep on trusting Him. You keep calling their name out. I've had a friend of mine who was saved. I think I've told you the story. He was in his 40s. He came to us and shared with us about his family falling apart. And they were riddled with debt. He wanted to See if we could somehow to give him some counsel and help him out. God got a hold of his heart and gave his heart to Jesus and prayed to receive Christ. And later on, he got a copy of his mother's Bible. He was raised in a home where dad was gone. He left him at an early age, checked out, but he had a faithful mother. And he said he looked at the pages of his mother's Bible. All throughout the pages of his mother's Bible, he'd say, My son. She'd find a promise from God's Word and put my son beside it. My son, my son, my son, my son. They only had one son, so she knew it was, he knew it was him. And she latched hold of promises concerning her son, and God was faithful to fulfill every one of them. God's faithful. When you're a mother, you'd have to step down to become president of the United States. It's beneath you. It'd be beneath you to be president of the United States. Because God loves little children. He loves them all individually. And he loves them as if He loves each and every one of them more than He does the other. That's how big God's love is. He can make you feel like He's your special one. And everybody can feel that way and never be slighted by the other ones that feel that way too.
that probably didn't make sense. Maybe it did to some of you. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's not in vain. Second Timothy chapter two, I mean chapter one. Second Timothy chapter one, when the apostle Paul is talking to the young pastor Timothy when he's in Ephesus. He's trying to encourage him. You get the sense in reading Second Timothy that uh, that Timothy was a low part in his ministry. He's probably getting ready to give up, getting discouraged. He was downtrodden. He needed some words of encouragement. Things weren't going well. Things weren't going the way he intended them to go. And he needed a just a, a dose of encouragement. And the Apostle Paul writes Second Timothy to provide that through the power of the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. Look at the next words. Which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded is in you also. It's a son. I believe your faith is real. I poured my life into you. But before I poured my life in you, your grandmother poured life in you. And your mother poured life in you. The greatest privilege and responsibility a parent has, whether there's one or two in the home, is by God's grace to lead their children to faith in Jesus Christ. Preach and live the cross. And ask you a question. Why is it the greatest responsibility and the greatest privilege? Because nothing else matters. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they learned. All the stuff that was learned in Egyptian university was exposed as a lie because of the teaching and the prayers and the instruction of a godly woman that got a hold of Moses before Egypt did. Hallelujah. Thank God for every one of you here are mothers. And thank God for every one of you here who one day will be. You take the example of Jacobin being encouraged. The world speaks to you loudly and lies to you most of the time about what you're to be, what your priorities are to be, this, that, and the other, what it means to be a woman. What it means to have success. What it means to be this or that or the other. It lies and harasses you, to be honest with you. We have compassion because you know what? God's, God is looking for faithfulness and fidelity and loyalty to His Son. And that might mean obscurity. won't be in your name to be written in history books. But your influence will live on to the children that God graces you with when they walk with Him. Hallelujah. Thank God for the Jacobins.